0: Hello everyone, and thank you for tuning in to this episode of Fake TV Critic, a podcast where I discuss the week's biggest TV news headlines, recap and analyze some of my favorite shows, and let you know what you should be watching. To start off the news section, Last week, I talked about how Below Deck is getting two new franchises, and I said I was super excited for Below Deck Iceland because that sounded so cool. Well, I got that from Deadline, the news website, and they were incorrect. The production company has clarified it's not going to be in Iceland. It's going to be in Norway, which, like, slightly less exciting because it's the same kind of general area of the world, Europe as some of the other below decks but still a cold region that's mostly what i am looking forward to is below deck not in the sun like below deck in a winter locale like an iceland or a norway or like an alaska that would be fun but yeah so correction from last week it is not below deck iceland is below deck norway what else happened this week um a couple of series announcements amazon renewed invincible which is its animated for adults, a superhero show for two more seasons, that will be back for seasons two and three. Netflix canceled The Duchess after one season, which I had never even heard of the show until I read that it was canceled. So no surprise there, I guess. And HBO Max ordered a new series about Green Lantern from the DC comic books. And it's going to be starring Finn Wittrock from Broadway and from uh, Ratchet and american horror story was he on american crime story may have been on that too i forget but you know one of ryan murphy's darlings he is going to be playing this new version of green lantern it's going to be produced by greg berlanti who does all the dc shows for the cw the flash arrow supergirl superman lois all those and that will be coming probably in 2022 to hbo max what else oh the oscars were last weekend and they were Freaking terrible. (laughs) They were the lowest rated Oscars in history by a very large margin, which isn't surprising. All the award shows have been uh, very uh, poorly watched. But this one was particularly painful. They moved all of the performances of the Best Original Song nominees to the pre-show at 7.30. And then, so then the whole ceremony was like three plus hours And there was no break from the monotony. Like there were, there was no live performances to kind of break it all up. And then on top of that, they also did not cut people off for their acceptance speeches. So we had people up there for like these awards that I'm sorry, I know that it's the Oscars, but truly no one gives a shit about like best international feature, best documentary, best live action short. Like we, I'm sorry, I I am so sorry. We do not care. We don't care. We don't care about you and the longest speeches of the night i feel like were documentary feature which i was really happy because my octopus teacher won and i love octopuses and i loved that movie but the woman who produced or directed i'm not sure which um like was talking really slow and would not stop it was annoying daniel kaluuya everyone was like oh what a fun speech because he was like how weird is it that my parents had sex and then here i am on the stage like that I'm sorry, that's not funny to me, that's awkward. And it also went on for too long because he didn't seem to know how to end his speech. And then I feel bad for saying this because the guy who directed uh, Another Round, which won best international feature, talked forever. Um, And then it turned out that he was like paying homage to his daughter who was supposed to be in the film that he won the the Oscar for, but she had died before they started production or during production, I forget which. So I kind of felt bad for being so angry with him for talking for so long. Like I don't know, there was it was so dull. It was in a train station. It I don't know. I they, they were terrible. They were really terrible. And then like on top of that, they ended on the most awkward note of all time. Because like Chadwick Bozeman in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom was the closest thing to a slam dunk there was, except maybe Nomadland winning Best Picture and Chloe Zhao for director at the Oscars this year. Like he was universally acknowledged as from all the previous awards from the critics from the Critics' Choice to the smaller Critics Award circles to audiences that he should, that he was going to win this Oscar posthumously. He lost in the last award of the night, which they switched, they put Best Director all the way at the beginning and then switched Best Picture to be second to last, then Actress, then Actor. So I was texting with a friend who was like, oh, they're probably saving Chadwick for last so they can end on like a really great speech from his widow because he's winning everything and she's making these amazing impassioned speeches on his behalf. And they announced the award and Anthony Hopkins won for a movie that like almost nobody in America has seen because it's only playing in art house cinemas and they're not open <laughs> in a lot of the country. And then in, like Anthony Hopkins was not there because of COVID. He's an old-ass man, but his co-star Olivia Coleman was at the London location and was going to accept for him. But instead, they just ended the ceremony with no speech. It was so bizarre. And I wonder if the producers of the show were like, oh fuck, we thought we were gonna go out on this high note and now we're not. Just cut it, cut it, cut it, go. Commercial, we're done. It was it was so weird. They were terrible. Um there's also this really stupid story that like, I wrote down, I don't even know if I wanna give it any air because it's just so fucking dumb. I'll, I'll tell you what it is. So this past week on Jeopardy, the champion who won at least three games, I, I don't watch Jeopardy all the time. I think I saw him won one, win one of his games. His name's Kelly something or other. Um, There was a whole hullabaloo that a bunch of former Jeopardy winners posted a, open letter on medium.com demanding an apology, both from Kelly and from the producers of Jeopardy! because they said he made a white supremacist hand gesture at the camera. And now you can't see what I'm doing because this is a podcast, but I am doing the motion where it's like, it's the okay symbol, but like turned upside down. You know what I'm talking about. Um, like where you put your thumb and your forefinger together into an O and then the three fingers up. But instead of doing it like upwards, like okay, like the okay emoji, the hand emoji, it's like turned down. That's a, apparently like a white supremacist thing. I don't know how or why, but it's been like this for a while. Those kids who were assholes at that, um, at that uh, high school with the douchebag kid who was disrespectful to the the native drummer. There were a bunch of people in their prom picture they got in deep shit for doing this symbol. You look it up you know what i'm talking about he apparently made the symbol on his chest um and so these jeopardy winners were really angry about that and they wanted a denouncement of white supremacy from kelly and from the producers and kelly was like no no no, I, that that was me saying that it was my third win i had done the same thing after my first and second wins but like you just didn't notice because it's not a symbol and he did then denounce white supremacy he was like that that is clearly not who i am So this is the dumbest story and it didn't really go very far i saw it on twitter but i haven't seen it reported anywhere but deadline and it was reported on by this garbage fucking asshole conservative reporter they have at deadline who loves to like write very like fox news ish headlines for the website like if you ever go to deadline and read something that's like ew when you read the headline it's high written by this guy his name's bruce harding i think his last name is so I don't know if I even wanted to mention it, but like, I mean, it is kind of a <laughs> ridiculous story and this is a ridiculous podcast. So there you go. Okay, coming up on this episode, um, a couple of recaps. My recommendation is a lot of fun. You're gonna get to hear my accent work. You know, I, I did minor in theater in college, so I, I'm kind of good at the accent, especially the Philly ones. Though um, <laughs> I'm not. Uh, So yeah, stay tuned. That's coming up. And I'm recapping this week uh, the premiere of Drag Race Down Under and the premiere of Bethany Frankel's new show on HBO Max, The Big Shot with Bethany. Grab a drink if you're at home and you have access to alcohol because that one, you might need it. (laughs) Stay tuned. Okay, it's Thursday morning. I literally, like 30 seconds ago, just finished watching the first episode of Bethany Frankel's new HBO Max series, The Big Shot with Bethany. And I had to jump on here immediately and talk about how fucking ridiculous and awful this show is while it's still fresh in my mind. Okay. so. The Big Shot with Bethany is on HBO Max. It is releasing two episodes a week for three weeks and the finale the week after. So four weeks of episodes. This was announced as one of HBO Max's um, like big acquisitions when it was first announced as a streamer. And I was personally excited about it because to me, this sounds like a no brainer of a TV series, especially with Bethany not returning to The Real Housewives of New York, that Bethany got her start on The Apprentice with Martha Stewart, like, I don't know, 15 years ago or something like that. She was the runner up on that show. And she turned that TV appearance and her run on that show into a career. Like, I mean, I think it was early seasons of New York Housewives. You could see her like selling muffins in a grocery store trying to build a brand. And now she has this enormous brand that as she says in the first episode brings in over a hundred million dollars a year. And kind of going off of that brand, which for those of you who maybe are not familiar is Skinny Girl, you've for sure seen their products in the grocery store and at Walmart and stuff like that. Um, Kind of going along the same lines, Skinny Girl went from this like diet brand of making like um, alcohol mixers and things like that, that were low calorie into this kind of like amorphous, undefinable brand that's just like Bethany. Like in the first episode, she kind of touches on that where she's like, I'm tired of building the Skinny Girl brand. I need to now build the Bethany brand. And that's kind of what Skinny Girl has become. Like she just released a line of K-Cups And I'm sorry, but coffee has two calories in a cup. Coffee is already skinny girl. Like you're just putting your logo on something to make money off of it. Like, so it's, and collagen enhancing pills. Like that is not skinny girl. That is just Bethany selling some shit, right? Like this is Bethany being like, what does our target audience want? They want fewer wrinkles. Let's make a collagen supplement. You know, like it's become this kind of like stupid hokey in my opinion brand whereas like it used to legitimately have really good products that immediately sold out you couldn't find anywhere like the skinny girl margarita you could not find anywhere when it came out skinny girl popcorn is great because it's portion controlled and i think those little bags had something like 50 calories in it and as someone right now who is on a no to very low carb diet i appreciate that that type of branding but now it's become like Bethany is the brand and if you like Bethany then that may work for you. I am learning through this show and through Bethany's internet presence that I don't particularly like Bethany as a person or as a brand and I'll try to explain how that comes through in the show. Okay so the show is basically The Apprentice. It's Bethany trying to hire a quote VP of operations which I don't know what that means. I don't think she knows that, what that means. I don't think the show knows what that means. Because basically, even in the first episode, she's she does a challenge where she has everyone make a 15-second Instagram story for one of her products. And like, I'm sorry, that's not what a VP of operations is going to do. You are not going to have your second in command in your $100 million a year empire making fucking Instagram stories. Like, that is stupid. That is a very TV show challenge. So, I don't know what this job is. You know, like, we have this really, really silly opening scene of Bethany sitting down with her business managers and her assistant and Like, basically drawing this really confusing nonsense flowchart of her life, talking about, well, now I have a podcast, now we have this TV show, we have books, and we have to monetize my dogs. Like, it's fucking nuts, right? So, I don't know that Bethany knows what she wants out of this job position. So, to me, it kind of makes the whole show just be like a big charade. Um, And it especially then makes the eliminations and the way Bethany is treating these people seem really mean and really vitriolic and not in an entertaining way. So Bethany's position on um, the housewives was like she was always the mean one, but she was always mean in like a kind of witty, cutting, sarcastic way. And because it was like her and four, five, six, depending on the season, other women, she was really palatable and really enjoyable on that because like she was the one who would bring these terrible women down a peg. Like when she fought with Ramona, everyone hates Ramona. We love to hate Ramona. So it was fun to watch Bethany yell at her and try to take her down. It was fun to watch Bethany point out Luann's narcissism but then watching, because they're on equal playing ground, right? They're all cast members on the same show, but on this, Bethany is just fucking mean. She's just so mean to these people. So the episode starts, or the the challenge, the competition, I guess, starts with 10 people coming to Bethany's investment property, as they label it, in Greenwich, Connecticut. And she makes it clear that like, I don't live here, I've never even slept here, but, and this is my first night, but I'm actually selling this house. I bought a new one that's bigger down the road, like. It's gross. Anyway, um, these 10 people have a party like she to introduce them for the show. And then she sends her assistant and Corey, who I don't know, is like a business manager or business consultant, I think is his title, business consultant, to like meet these people and kind of spy on them. And then they report back. And then she goes downstairs, asks everyone, you have 30 seconds to tell me who you are. And you can tell that she has already formed an opinion based on like peering out through the curtains at everyone and what Corey and Sarah have told her, because she immediately starts to minimize these people's experiences and challenge them in really ugly ways. So like this woman, Anne, uh, she says, okay, well, how do you do your job? Like, how do you build these social media campaigns? And she's like, from top to bottom, how? By doing research. Okay, but then how? And she like just keeps interrupting Anne as she's trying to answer. And I'm like, and then she immediately eliminates her. Right off the bat, in the first episode, we've gone from 10 to five contestants. Now, I'm sure because it's seven episodes, either we're not going to get an elimination in every episode going forward, or some of these people are going to come back. I don't know what it's going to be but immediately after she says you have 30 seconds to introduce yourself she eliminates 4 people and they're all people of color just gonna throw that out there <laughs> um and the reasons she gives are fucked up like she eliminates Mary who owns a sock company and she says when i told you i gave you the key to the kingdom or something or something like that And it's like and when i the golden ticket and i said you can be my VP of opera- operations, but you have to get rid of your other job. You should have said yes. And Mary's, and I'm thinking, like, no, this woman built a business. And you're going to be like, hey, to be my second in command, you have to get rid of your own thing. Fuck off. And then to eliminate her because you think that she's not going to be dedicated to this, like, whatever fucking job this is, that is very unclear. You have never explained what this job is. Like, it seems like, there is a really bad connection between what Bethany, the TV personality who wants to make good TV and Bethany, who is legitimately looking for someone to work for her. What, where's the crossover there? Because it just seems like Bethany wants to be a, like a tweetable Instagrammable, gifable TV personality. And not that she like seriously is looking for someone to help her run her company. Because if you're looking for someone to help run your company, would you maybe consider someone who, I don't know, owns her own company like Mary? And then Mary tries to defend herself. And Bethany's like, OK, well, now you're wasting everyone else's time. And I definitely made the right decision. Stop sucking up all the air in the room, which like for Bethany, of all people to say, is so fucking ironic. Um, I don't know. It just th- the show is it's not very entertaining because we don't understand what the stakes are because we don't understand the position they're working for. The challenge is very loose. I don't understand the judgment and what Bethany is looking for. Um, I don't even know if Bethany knows what she's looking for. I don't know if the show knows what it's looking for. And then it basically ends with like, you give them the assignment to make an Instagram story. And then she bitches at the end of the episode about like, well, I don't think – I think everyone's too loosey-goosey and casual about this. And it's like, well, because you told them to make an Instagram story. Like, you told them to do something that people do, like, in their bathrooms. Do you know what I mean? Like, of course they're doing it. Like, this is a casual challenge. You're like, grab a product in the next five minutes make a 15-second commercial for it on Instagram. Of course they're casual about it. Like, what do you expect them to be? Like, you didn't tell them to make a PowerPoint that they're presenting to billion-dollar investors. I'm sure they take that a little more fucking seriously. And then she says something like, I don't want them to think that this is just going to be a fun, a fun bullshit job. But it is a bullshit job because we don't actually know what the job is. I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't understand. But again this is very much in that vein of the apprentice we're like i don't think it was ever very clear on the apprentice what the objective of that show was either like that never seemed like it was a show for anything other than for trump to be on tv right you know like you're working to be the apprentice what does that mean like you're gonna hire one of these people i don't think that ever actually happened so i don't i don't know if this is all just like a big fake for a tv show but like bethany on her own is just she's not likable she comes across as very crass and rude and mean on this show and not in like a constructive way like i said she immediately eliminates four people from the competition just because like and in 30 seconds because in 30 seconds they didn't tell her what she wanted to hear from them like that is not you being a smart business person that's you being an asshole. Like, that is you being like, there's something about you I don't like and will not work. Get out of my sight. Like, saying, like, I hope this isn't that they don't think this is some bullshit job. But then, like, when you treat people that way, of course that's, how, that's what they're going to think and how they're going to view you. And this is not surprising. Like, every time I feel like Bethany wants to branch off on her own, she ends up doing something like this where we all kind of realize, like, oh, we don't like you. We like you in an ensemble. We like you when you're speaking for us and calling out the women that we also don't like. But her talk show, Epic Failure, did you remember she even had a talk show? She mentioned it in the episode and I was like, oh right, that that was terrible. That lasted like one season. We didn't like her on our talk show. I don't like her right now. I don't like this show. I She was on a podcast I listened, I listened to and She came across as an asshole and she was promoting her own podcast. And I'm like, well, I'm not listening to that shit. Now, if this is how you're going to act on that show, like, she was just so curt and and like short and rude. She's just rude Uh, with other people. And she's been on social media being an asshole. Like, I found it very ironic that this whole episode was about how much she hates social media and the main reason she needs to hire someone as its VP of operations is because she's quote, bad at social media. And like, that is an understatement because over the weekend, maybe last week when they started promoting the show, she posted an Instagram story where she was like, I'm really excited for my show because I think it's gonna be really good for the unemployment rate. Like, fuck you, you are such an idiot. Like I think giving one person a job on a TV show is gonna help the unemployment rate. You are such an idiot. Oh my God, and then she was in the middle of a tweet storm about the the Meghan and Harry situation because she was like basically anti-Meghan, being like, you know what you signed up for, stop boo Meanwhile, she has spent a decade boo about how hard it is to get a divorce. She's, she's clueless. She has gone from a real person in extraordinary circumstances with her skinny girl brand, and it's gone completely to her head, I feel like, and this show is like the epitome of that, it's gone completely to her head and turned her into the opposite of what I feel like she wanted to be in early seasons of Housewives and on The Apprentice with Martha Stewart. It's turned her into what she rails against. It's turned her into an asshole, basically. But if you would like to hate watch the show, as I, I might be doing, I haven't decided if I'm gonna keep watching or not, but the first, because the first episode was bleh, bleh, bleh gross. Um, but if you would like to, new episodes are dropping over the next, t- today or, you know, whenever you listen to this, the first two episodes are out, the next two are coming out next week, then another two, and then the finale on May 20th. So, like, if you want to, if, if you have the time and you want to hate watch, go for it. HBO Max streaming now. Big Shot with Bethany. Meh. Oh my God, so exciting. I know season 13 of Drag Race US just ended last week. We already have a new Drag Race to look forward to and it's Drag Race Down Under. And it's on WOW Presents Plus, new episodes every Saturday at 3 a.m. Eastern, midnight Pacific. I loved this first episode. I don't know why, it wasn't great. Like there was nothing all that special about it. The queens are kind of like, I don't know, the runway wasn't all that great, but for some reason, I just, I loved it and it made me so excited and uh, I'm so excited to talk about it. Okay, so before I even get into the episode, I have to say this particular iteration of Drag Race has been such a long time coming. The fact that we got Drag Race Holland before we got Drag Race Australia, well, in this case, Drag Race Down Under because they filmed in New Zealand and there are three Kiwi Queens. The fact that we got, Drag Race Holland before Drag Race Down Under is just bizarre to me because for me, drag race, not drag race, but drag in general in Australia is like what I thought of when I thought of drag. Like, you know, before Drag Race started, which was 2009, and I was recording this on my TiVo because I was watching the logo click list and was like, oh, a RuPaul show, let me record that my knowledge of drag was basically like oh rupaul is a person who exists dame edna and priscilla queen of the desert two of those three things are australian priscilla queen of the desert is probably worldwide the most famous drag movie of all time and maybe in america the only one more famous is to wong fu thanks for everything julie newmar which is just an american remake of priscilla queen of the desert which if you have not seen, you need to go find it right now. Stop listening, go find it, leave work, whatever, pull your car over and find it on your phone and watch it literally right now. It's so good and spawned, you know, an American remake, as I said, a Broadway musical. It's so good. Dame Edna, same deal. Probably other than RuPaul at one point, one of the most famous drag queens in the world, if not the most famous drag queen in the world other than RuPaul. In some areas, more so than RuPaul. Um, we won't talk about the fact that she's a, that the actor is you know, a transphobic mess now, but she's old. Uh, but you know Dame Edna has played Broadway and the West End and comedy festivals and all that stuff. Australian drag, even if we think of just the drag race world. Um, one of the most popular, famous, and um, successful queens to come out of the show is Courtney Act. Maybe not so much in America, but (laughs) in Australia, she was on Australian Idol. She was on Dancing with the Stars. She was on, what the hell is the name of their soap opera? Neighbors, I think. In the UK, she won Celebrity Big Brother. She was in a show on the West End that uh, was open briefly during 2020 um, after they kind of reopened for COVID before they had to shut down again. She's toured her cabaret act around Australia and the world. Um, has a podcast, is writing a memoir, like undeniably one of the most successful drag race girls, again, globally. So I'm just really excited that Australian drag is finally being showcased on this show. Now, Drag Race Down Under, let's get into it. So we have a cast of 10. The first queen to come into the workroom is Art Simone, who has her own Wow Presents Plus show which I haven't watched yet, but to me kind of reeks of favoritism. Uh, so I'm already calling her top three right now. Uh, she looks great. Um, she's she's funny. Her outfit is kind of campy, but, um, but also like really well done. Her runways were probably some of the strongest of the episode. So that's great. She's probably, I would say, one of the, two most polished queens there. Like, level of professionalism with Art Simone is high. Then there's Maxi Shields, who looks kind of like um, Hollow Eve from Dragula season three meets Delta Work <laughs> from Drag Race season four. Like, a really big dude, tattooed, huge fake breastplate, um, Awful shoes, awful plastic shoes with the cliffhanger toes. Um, not my favorite look, but like super charming. And as some of the other contestants have said, looks like a truck driver out of drag. <laughs> um, but I don't know, I, I like Maxi. I, I was fine with her, not one of my favorites of the episode, but I'm totally looking forward to where she goes because she had a really fun personality. Next is Jojo Zaho, which, like, first of all, that name <laughs> when I first read it, I was I I laughed. I laughed every time Rue said it on the episode. So funny. Jojo Z-A-H-O. Jojo Zaho. So funny. Um, she is an uh an indigenous queen. So the only one on the season. I I cannot remember the names of the tribes, I'm so sorry, but she coined this term faboriginality um, instead of aboriginal, which was wonderful. Describes herself as like a, a hooker who looks like a lesbian truck driver or something like that. Um, such an adorable boy out of drag. I, I, I enjoyed Jojo for the most part. She had a really nice um, interview moment in the workroom where she talked about uh, living on a mission, which is kind of like, I guess the aboriginal version of kind of like the projects in America, where it was where uh, black people in Australia were forced kind of out of their homes to the outskirts. Uh, Her runways are not good though, but they're not bad. I don't know. I kind of liked her. She wasn't all that exciting, but, Oh, well, we'll get to her more at the end. Electra Shock walks in. She's from New Zealand. Uh, I thought she looked uh, fine. Her wig, as everyone pointed out, needed uh, some moisture. But that's okay. I liked her. Um, I don't really know much else to say, but I liked Electra Shock. Uh, Scarlett Adams, who... Okay, going into this show, Scarlett had a bit of an... um, controversial history that kind of was exposed before she the cast was or as the cast was revealed where she is very young she looks like she's in her early 20s and has performed in dragon blackface and Yellowface in like 2018 2019 and like i oh, no just no and i know that australia doesn't have the same kind of um, racist history with blackface that the United States does, but it, they have their own, as I just mentioned with JoJo, they have their own complicated racial history with people of color. So like you should really know better and not do shit like that. Um, and also I just don't particularly find her very interesting. Um, she didn't pad or uh, wear breasts and like it was, she has a very skinny boy body that's just kind of like a tube, like it's just straight up and down. I don't know. She, uh, she's okay, but whatever. Nothing. She's like, looks like she's like very Aquaria, which I liked Aquaria on her season because she had a great personality to like back up her fashion and model uh, behavior. But uh, Scarlet so far in one episode, which I get it, it's just one episode does not have that for me. Um, And I'm kind of like leaning toward disliking her just because of her history, but maybe she can turn it around. Who knows? Coco Jumbo comes in. She is I'm sure going to be the narrator of the season. So funny in the talking heads, reminds me a lot of Tia Coffee from uh, UK season two. Her first runway look was garbage. Um, it was a bunch of pillows made to look like uh, eyes, lips, and apparently these two giant hoops on her wrists that were supposed to be earrings, but to me just looked like like someone on the panel called it calamari and like, yeah, that's what it looks like. It looks like unbreaded, uncooked calamari, yuck. Uh, Kitamine is the second New Zealand queen, owns a bar in uh, Auckland that Electroshock works at, which is fun. So, Electroshock's boss is here. Has a really cool, like, Japan kind of entrance look with, like, a big foam wig, which I love those big foam wigs. Uh, really over the top. Um, but she's the first one that I noticed. And I noticed a lot of queens do this on the show where they, like, when they throw shade, it's not the same kind of shade we're used to on the UK and US versions of the show, where it's like an insult that's also a joke. It's just an insult that they laugh at afterward. <laughs> like she mentions, Kitty, you mentioned she owns this bar with her partner Anita Wiggle It. and um, she's glad that she's there without Anita because Anita just rides her coattails, and everyone knows that. <laughs> and then she laughs. I'm like, that's just you insulting your. Friend, but okay um, and then spoiler alert Anita comes in later so <laughs> she's not here without Anita etc uh, etc et comes dressed as apparently a bug although her one antenna keeps falling down um, etc the person behind etc is non-binary I think that is very exciting um, I don't remember her runways so that's not great she has this kind of like a classic Hollywood style which can either be really fun or really annoying, a la Max from season seven. Uh, We'll see, Um, I'm kind of, I'm interested in et cetera, but not particularly taken with her yet. Anita Wiglet walks in, again, owns this bar with Kidamine. So like all three of the Kiwi contestants are in some way related and know each other, which is fun. Um, Anita is so absurd out of drag when they do her talking heads like, I feel like her mouth just takes up the whole screen. She has such a huge smile. Her mouth is always open. Like she talks with all of her teeth exposed. It's so bizarre and so charming and endearing and funny. I loved her. I also loved her runway. Like her, the runway, the second, there were two runway looks. The first was, um, I don't know something oh born naked it was born naked so like your interpretation of born naked and the second was the hometown challenge like we get in the uk and hers she dresses a sheep or a ram for new zealand which i just she looked hysterical i loved it and then finally we get my personal favorite who i've been following on instagram for a couple of years now i don't know how i first heard of this queen it might have been from courtney act years and years ago Karen from Finance, which number one, best drag name in history, stop even trying, everyone else can go home, this is the greatest thing ever. Um, Also is a very campy Housewives meets 1980s Dolly Parton in nine to five vibe. Uh, Hats with big brims, curly blonde hair, polka dot suit dresses, Um, I, Friggin' loved Karen from finance from the, obviously from before the show, but from the second she walked in, I was like, it's over for you hoes. So I'm calling her top three as well. Um, I I just loved her. She's so funny. She has such a camp aesthetic and I could so easily see her like blending in anywhere, like in mainstream as like a comedian or I don't know, like judging, shows and people just not even realizing that she's a drag queen or i don't know i just i I think that she she's i think she is like this in australia too like people know who she is in australia which is also fun because the other great big australian drag star that should have been on the show and for some reason is not is vanity fair who is probably the world's most famous drag queen wig designer, but whatever. Um, so the, with the absence of vanity, I think Karen is a very clear front runner just based on pedigree. Um, much like in season six, I, being you know a person who has attended New York drag and all of that, I knew that Bianca Del Rio was going to be a front runner before anyone else, and you know before a lot of other people who don't go to New York drag did watching the show. I feel like that's what Karen is going to be as well. And Karen also had she won the runway, she had two great looks. Her Born Naked runway was hysterical. It was an entirely rhinestone bodysuit with the bikini on. And then she took the bikini off and it was like a different color like a lighter color rhinestone underneath as if she had like a rhinestone tan. Oh my god, it was so good i love karen i'm calling her for the win already um so our judges this is so now that i've introduced the queens i'm just i have to talk about the judges for a second so it's rue and michelle and an australian comedian named reese nicholson who is adorable little ginger with a lisp he's so funny um but rue is doing something fucking bizarre it says oh my makeup got lost in transit which like I, clearly that's not true because you probably would have had to quarantine when you got to new zealand and you could have just, I don't know, bought makeup. So I'm wondering if Rue is at the point where she's like, we're filming so many seasons of this show in a year now, I fucking refuse to get in drag for all of them. (laughs) Because Rue famously hates getting into drag. And the fact that, so in just a year, including with the COVID shutdown, she's filmed a season of UK, a season of US, a season of All Stars, this season of Down Under, and then we'll be going from Down Under right to the UK to film another season there, that maybe she's just like, no, I'm fucking tired of this. <laughs> I'm not getting in drag. Cause so she, maybe she got in drag for like one day and then recorded all the parts of her in drag, like quote unquote talking to the judges at a different time. It's so bizarre. But the big thing here is that Drew on the judging panel is, uh, is in his male, presentation, which is very strange. But, you know, we see male Rue all the time in the workroom, so guess like, not that jarring, but it's just very strange, the way it's set up of like Rue in drag on the runway being like, oh, and our other guest judges, Rue Paul. And then they just like are talking to each other. It's, it's fucking weird. And then they cut to Rue in drag throughout like, Rue, what do you think? And then it's just, I'm on the phone. Like it was just so fucking strange. But we get so, like I said, uh, Karen for finance is the winner of the first episode. The lip sync comes down to JoJo Zaho and Electra Shock, and Electra Shock pulls out all the tricks. Does you know the flying splits, um, the what the hell is that? Th- you know, like rolling on the ground. Um, she she turns it out, and I thought she did a pretty darn good job. Um, but maybe it was just because JoJo like wasn't actually really doing anything and didn't really seem to understand the song. Like her face didn't really move at all. And Electra, like was putting some passion and some emotion into it. So our first eliminated queen is unfortunately JoJo Zaho. But uh, this season, This whole show seems super fun. I'm, like I said in past episodes, I'm always on board for a new drag race. Whether it's this country, another country, I'm not as keen on like Holland and I'm not sure about Spain yet because like it's hard for me to read (laughs) the, the show while also trying to pay attention to the looks and, you know, the jokes get lost in translation. But regardless, I'm always down for new drag race. Even though I didn't really get Holland all that much, I still watched it. So, you know, I was going to watch this and like it no matter what. And I, don't, I think these are some really unique and fun and kind of like rough-around-the-edges queens. And I like that. And like I said, I like Australian drag. It's super campy, it's super over-the-top, and it's silly, and it's comedic. And I just can't wait to see what happens this season because as we saw in the preview, Episode 2 is already Snatch Game. That's nuts. So I'm calling it now, I'm calling Art Simone, Karen from finance, top three. And then the third, I think is either going to be Kitamine or Anita Wiglet. I think they're gonna set up that rivalry there of like business partners and friends, but only one can prevail type of thing. So that's gonna be, so that's my prediction. And again, I really, I really recommend this. Wow, Presents Plus is pretty friggin' cheap and there's eight episodes. So you can get two months and I think it's like four dollars a month or something like that and then you can you know and then you get drag race uk in canada and holland and spain because that's supposed to be coming up at the end of the month too highly recommend it Uh, i can't wait for next week okay coming up this week in terms of premieres on tuesday netflix is dropping the second half of their limited series selena We have the first episode of Disney Plus's new cartoon Star Wars series called The Bad Batch, the season 11 premiere of Teen Mom 2 and season nine of Catfish on MTV and on Bravo, the return of The Real Housewives of New York. On Wednesday, Netflix is dropping a documentary series called The Sons of Sam, which is about, like, Satanism in terms of the Son of Sam murders, which, like, okay. Uh, The second season of Kids Say the Darndest Things premieres on CBS, and the new season of Crank Yankers on Comedy Central. On Thursday, Peacock gives us the full first season of their new Tina Fey comedy, Girls 5 Eva. The second season of Legendary begins on HBO Max, which I cannot wait for. Also starting on Thursday on HBO Max is Michael Che from SNL's new sketch show, That Damn Michael Che, and the ninth season of Million Dollar Listing New York on Bravo. And then on Friday, Netflix gives us Jupiter's Legacy, which is like a superhero show starring Josh Duhamel. The fourth season of Dynasty premieres on The CW, and Hulu gives us the third and final season of Shrill starring Aidy Bryant. And finally on Sunday, the premiere of Z-Way on Showtime. For finales, the sixth season of Temptation Island ends this week, as well as the second season of The Circle on Netflix, Magnum P.I. on CBS, the part three of The Real Housewives of Atlanta Reunion airs, and then that shit-ass season rides off into the sunset. The first season of Stars is the Gloaming Anne's ends, as does the eighth season. How the hell has this been on the air for eight seasons? of When Calls the Heart on the Hallmark Channel. Okay, my recommendation for the week is on HBO on Sunday nights. By the time you listen to this, when this episode drops on Monday, uh, there will have been three episodes. It is the new Kate Winslet limited series on HBO and HBO Max called Mara Easttown. And now having grown up in the greater Philadelphia area, I have such an affinity for Philadelphia accents. They are hideously ugly and lots of fun to make fun of. And Kate Winslet does a real good job of of doing the, the Philly accent. Um, my favorite part is in the first episode when she announces that there was a homeowner who reported a prowler. <laughs> Cause you know, that's that, that ain't good. And she drinks Wow coffee, and she eats her her pork roll on a bagel with egg and cheese, and she limps around because she's a cop trying to solve a murder. That's enough of that accent, even though I could literally do it all day and just crack myself up. Um, so it's a story of a small town, East Town, which is a real place um, in, I believe, it's Montgomery County. Kind of like it's it's a poorer. More working class area, like outside of the richer mainline areas, like Bryn Mawr and places like that. Um, so it's a real place. The creator is from that area. Kate Winslet. I mean, like, honest to God, if you don't think Kate Winslet is one of the best actresses alive, and like by far the best actress of her generation, because um, you know she's not the same age as Meryl Streep, who's I would say maybe is the best actress. I don't know, I think Kate Winslet is better at losing herself in roles than Meryl Streep is, but that's just me. Regardless, Kate Winslet is fucking phenomenal. Not only does she nail the accent, which like, I'll be totally honest, I had to watch the first episode twice because I distracted myself <laughs> listening to her Philly accent and just repeating everything that she said to myself and giggling. And it was, <laughs> but it's, it's so good. The first episode is kind of slow and it, it's world building and like we meet the, mayor is the, main cop in this small town so she knows everyone and is in everyone's business and then a girl disappeared who is the daughter of one of her friends and they never saw this disappearance and the mother is putting a lot of pressure on mayor and the police department but like they've stalled and ha- hasn't really gone anywhere in i think a year maybe more then we meet everyone in the town so mayor knows all these people and her ex-husband is getting engaged to his new wife and that pisses her off. She has a grandchild, even though she's probably only in her 40s. Um, and we get this kind of slow world building of like this working class town, the intricate, intimate um, dynamics of all of these people. So it's, it's it's a little slow, but it's really interesting. Guy Pierce plays an author and college professor who comes into town and meets Mayor and has a fling with her, but wants it to be more. Uh, But then we end the first episode with the murder of a teen girl who has a child with her ex-boyfriend, also in high school, and his new girlfriend is a complete fucking asshole. Kudos to the writers and the actress, I should have looked her up, I didn't, who plays Brianna because she is the exact kind of asshole girl from high school that I knew quite a few of growing up in this area, where she's like, you gonna stop texting my man? And then she punches the girl in the face. What what about now? You gonna stop texting my man now? And it's funny to me, but also horrifying. And then this girl ends up dead in a Greek. So the second episode picks up there and complete tonal shift, almost 100% tonal shift, into like a really fast paced murder mystery where all these people we met in the first episode were like, okay, okay, but what's the story? Well, here's the fucking story. And it's so good. The acting, you guys, Evan Peters from American Horror Story and WandaVision and uh, the X-Men movies, he shows up as a police officer, a detective who has been sent in from a larger precinct to help. and. This is the first time I've seen Evan Peters like really understated and not really like playing an over-the-top, either like melodramatic character like on American Horror Story, or an over-the-top kind of comedic part like he did in X-Men and Wandavision. And he's really fun and fun is not the right word. This is a pretty dark series, but it does have some humorous moments, which is great. Uh Gene Smart is in it. It's just, it's, it's, it's really good. It's it's a li- like I said, it's it's kind of dark, but I'm, I'm really invested and again, I it's I worship at Kate Winslet's altar. She is fucking phenomenal and this show is no exception. Um, she looks like a world weary Philly area mom who is just freaking exhausted from raising her kids, raising her grandkid basically now raising her mother who moved into quote-unquote help which like i don't know if that's a thing everywhere, but around here it is very much a thing where like once your parents hit a certain age they move in to help you raise your kids or your grandkids and then they don't actually they end up becoming like another child um and then he goes to work all day and is being hounded by people in town every day for not solving this missing person Case, but then also it weighs heavy on her because she knows everyone there. So she knew this girl and knows this girl's mother. And then they're, they have to like make arrests in this town for this new murder. And like, again, everyone knows everyone. So it's like her friends are now turning on her because of this case. And it's just the dynamic of all the characters is really well done. And it's Kate Winslet, I cannot stress it enough, is goddamn perfection so mayor of east mayor m-a-r-e it sounds like because i kind of have a little bit of a philly accent a jersey accent that when i say mayor east town it sounds like i am saying mayor of east town with an accent i'm not her name is mayor m-a-r-e mayor east town is on sunday nights at 10 o'clock on hbo and streaming at the same time on hbo max you should be watching it it is so good okay Thank you all for tuning into this episode of Fake TV Critic. I'll be back next week with more recaps, more reviews, more news, and more recommendations. Have a good week, everyone.